uh, reading this morning from Matthew chapter 6, uh, and, uh, and Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount, and he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? You see how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. For Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Next slide. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Please be seated. I had an interesting experience uh, this week. Uh, I posted a video just a couple of weeks ago on, um, on my Instagram and Facebook page, and it went viral. Uh, it went viral. Here's the video. Um, some of you may have watched it. This is my friend Aaron. Um, this is us flying back from Portland. Um, for those listening to the podcast, with Terry, uh, it's us sitting at the back of a plane, and a guy's talking, walking, walking out of the toilet, and Aaron's pretending to vomit <laughs> at the back of the plane. That little video has gone viral. Guess how, as of 10 o'clock this morning, it's been viewed 1.8 million times. <laughs> how crazy is that, <laughs> right? Uh, and oh, it's like insane. <laughs> so I've gone viral. Now, the problem is all my content's just not going to please the 20 random people that have started following me from Slovenia or wherever they've been watching this video. Like, it's just Eugene Peterson quotes and inspirational things from the scripture or whatever, but it's like... Um, and the funny thing is that in this moment, um, me and Aaron were talking about, so Aaron's a pastor up in a church in Hamilton. Um, he, um, in fact, he's the author of the song that we sung today, Hinotere, um, and Tehui, and a whole bunch of other beautiful songs. Um, and we're at the back of the plane, and like, we're joking about the fact that Pentecostal pastors that are well-known wouldn't be sitting there, you know? We're sitting there, mate, I bet you old Brian Houston was at the back of the plane, like, you know, near the toilets, you know? Ha, 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 having a good giggle about that. And then, um, and then we just had to start going this deep and meaningful because it was like we caught ourselves doing what we always do, which is like we always compare ourselves up. We always compare ourselves up. So we always compare ourselves to someone that's got more than us. Always. Like we never compare ourselves. 
And, like, and then we started getting convicted, right? I mean, there's a couple of pastors back at the plane in Portland, uh, you know, and it's like, man, what a privilege that we got to do this. Like, most pastors in the world wouldn't get this privilege. And the trippy thing is, like, you know, uh, everyone in this room, we're in the top 10% of the world's wealth. Like, that's insane. Some of us, I did some research on the stats, but I don't want to, like, condemn anyone, but I'm like, the people in the room, they're in the top 2% of the world's wealth. So, like, we don't compare ourselves down, ever. We're always compare. Like, always, why? Because we have been formed to be dissatisfied. Like, you can't go through life watching 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements a day trying to breed dissatisfaction in you and not be impacted by that. That does something to you. You will see between 4,000 and 10,000 advertisements today conditioning you to be dissatisfied with what you have so that you can go purchase whatever they're trying to sell you. That's going to shape and form your worldview. Seriously going to shape and form your worldview. And so that's why, you know, I don't know if you guys have felt this this morning, but I'm like, you come into this environment of faith and it's like the mist kind of dissipates and you start to see things a bit more clearly again. Like we were singing that all hail King Jesus. It's like we remember who he is. And it's like, oh yeah, that's right. That's who you are. But it's, this is why daily devotions and, and a rule of life and all this are super important to keep us connected to the vine. Because like Israelites, we, the Israel stories, they just forgot constantly what God had done and who he was. And we were so prone to forget. And so then we just get, we get lost in the sea of consumerism and we're just dissatisfied with our life when we're actually the richest people in the world. <clears throat> and so there's, like, there's a couple of moments when you do kind of like get clarity around what really matters. The first is when um, you're faced with mortality in some way, shape or form, when you're, when you're confronted with death. Um, Adam's in a job where he does that as a, as a gig full time. Um, uh, I'm in a job that sees that relatively frequently and it's a gift. Proverbs say it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting because it gives you perspective. It gives you wisdom. And like in those moments when there's someone that you love and you're sitting next to them in the hospital bed, you're like, I know what really matters in life. And I know what doesn't. And so much of what advertisements do is just to lie about what matters. And so much of what is real and true and beautiful and good and what really matters is right here in the room. It's relationships, and it's time with people that, that I love, and it's, and it's staying close to a God who's for me, a God of love. So we have these moments of clarity when we're in positions facing mortality, but they're fleeting. And in our Western society, we hide death all the time, and so we don't see it. That's why the Māori culture is such a gift to New Zealand in many, many ways. Um, you know, the whole process of tangi is so, so good. Um, it's, it's very rich. But the second time that we can get clarity is when Jesus starts speaking. Yeah. So even as I'm reading out Matthew 6 just then, I'm like, yeah. you feel in the room, it's like, yeah, man, it's so true. So true. Life isn't just about clothes and about all the other stuff. Life is just this, like, why do I worry so much about stuff I'm just not in control of? It doesn't do anything. Uh, it diminishes my life. My friend Joseph McCauley, he spoke at our Revelation series has written an outstanding theological paraphrase of the passage, a part of the passage I just read out. And I want to read it because it's just, it nails what Jesus is trying to say here in more contemporary language. He says this, 
Jesus is saying, don't orientate your life around the acquisition of wealth or possessions and the status, security, power, and control that money supposedly offers. Ultimately, you are pursuing a counterfeit kind of freedom and self-governance that is contra to that which God is calling you into. More than that, it's an illusion. Wealth and possessions are temporary and fleeting, as is the freedom to be your own man that they supposedly promise. They'll eventually be lost to you or you lost to them. Instead, orientate your life around the mystery of the kingdom of God. Pray, fast, give, and forgive your way into all that I am teaching. Let my way become your way of being in the world. Living like this, you'll be storing up heavenly treasure that has a way of showing up in the here and now. God's good and righteous rule in your life. A restoration into the fullness of the image of God as you experience holy, wholesome, and whole growth in life. A deep trust and confidence in God. A flourishing life. An inheritance prepared before the foundation of the world. The kind of treasure that you seek to orientate your life around reflects the kind of person that you are. Nothing wrong with all the stuff. It's got to be in the right place. And what Jesus does is he challenges disordered desires. And, and, and he, he calls us to have them in the right place. And that's why we're going into a season called Seek First. What does it look like to seek first the king and his kingdom, so that, and then all these other things which are fine, money and clothes and whatever, but as they find themselves in the right priorities rather than being elevated to a godlike status in our heart and mind? What does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God? And we're going to... We're going to speak to that, and as part of that, as I've said earlier, we're going to have a time of 21 days of prayer and fasting, which is an opportunity for us to respond very pragmatically with a concrete expression of a seek-first posture. So this is the invitation, is that the train stops at every station, and it's another opportunity to engage with God here. This is my job as a pastor. <laughs> Come on board the train, and let's see what God wants to do as we seek Him first. So, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, well, what is this? Most of Jesus' teaching was about the kingdom of God. And it's interesting because I've said this a number of times, I'm going to say, I'll say it all the time, I'm going to keep saying it. Everything that God calls us to is motivated by love and leads us to life. Everything. There's no exceptions. So, so the, the question isn't whether, it's, like, it's a question of trust. Do I trust that everything that Jesus is calling me to is motivated by love and leads me to life? And the fascinating thing is that Jesus is like, well, if you're following me, there's going to be some stuff that you're going to be doing. He just presumes it in, this, in the context of Matthew 6. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. He's just expecting us to be generous people with our finances um, and now, again, motivated by love leads us to life. It turns out the happiness that you're looking for is found in generosity, not in being stingy. The happiest people I know are the most generous people I know. They're just free baby, yeah. That doesn't mean they're not wise stewards and all the rest of it. They're just fully alive. Money's not in control of them. They're in control of it. Love it. Very cool. He presumes that you're going to be praying, and he presumes that you're going to be fasting. Now, interesting uh, it's like money, time, and food, man. They're the three big things Jesus just presumes we're going to give away and waste on Jesus. 
Like, it's trippy, right? And when you give us the money, we could, a whole lot of, these are, the, these are the things that we look to for, for, for identity, for control, for comfort. Also, and it's like, I want to give my money away. I want to give my time in prayer to Jesus because that's where the flourishing life is found. I want to waste it on him. And then the food thing. Now, the Western church has, has been dialed down the fasting thing. And I've said this a whole lot. I'm a specialist at feasting. I'm a black belt in feasting, but I'm really pumped about fasting all of a sudden because Jesus is found in that place. And if everything he says is motivated by love and leads us to life, then I want to engage in these rhythms that the church has, has, has lived out for centuries. It's only in recent history that the Western church has dropped a whole lot of spiritual practices that are just the bread and butter of the Christian faith. And so certainly a bunch of the boys are now having regular weekly fasts in our church. And that's happening like a whole collective of pastors that I went to this trip with and close friends of mine, weekly fasting. And now we're going into 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it's part of the thing. And I've always been like, eh, I suppose we better do this sort of thing every time, every now and then. Now I'm like, oh, can't wait. I wonder what God's going to do. I don't have expectations in terms of like God dropping a building from the sky, but I do have expectations of meeting him drawing near to him and just being just deeply satisfied in him. As I say to my fish, you sit down, Jesus first. You sit there, boy. All right? We're going to sing the song at the end, um, and uh, this beautiful song, Jesus, we love you. And the bridge is our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. I'm going to invite those who want to respond this morning to do that, to be like, yeah, I want to just keep orientating my life around him. I want to live a seek-first lifestyle where I just pour out my life to him. So what does it look like for us to seek first uh, the kingdom and its righteousness? Well, the first, uh, I've got two-point sermon today. The first is uh, to, to seek first, first and foremost, is to seek the king of that kingdom is to seek after the king of that kingdom. You have been created to live in loving union with God. Let that sink in for a second. The God of the universe has created you because he delights in spending time with you. He loves spending time with you. You've been created like that's like you've been created to live in loving union with God. That's your like your foundational identity is that you're the beloved of God. That's your Identity in Jesus. You're the beloved ones. Um, in the New Testament, this word beloved is used um, 61 different times. Um, the root word of, this, of the word um, of beloved is this word agapetos, which, um, which the root word is agape. Uh, it's one of the four words that the Greek language has for the word love, which is helpful. We don't have that in English. So I love pizza and I love my wife. I love both of them a lot, like if I'm really honest. But it feels a bit unfair for Jen that there's not some other words in the English language that help explain the love I have for Jen, which is slightly different sort of love than the love I have for a good old-fashioned thin and crispy Hawaiian from Pizza Hut, right? It's like there's a different sort of love that we're talking about. So the Greek doesn't have that problem. I've got these four different words for love. And agape is the least commonly used word in the first century based on the writings that we have from that time. But it's also the word that's the deepest and noblest kind of love. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a, it's a word that talks about being completely devoted to the object of love. This is the kind of love, agape love, 
that keeps on loving even when the object of love is unresponsive, unkind, or unworthy. Get your head around that. That's the sort of love. So beloved is used 61 times in the New Testament. Six of those times it's used by God to describe how the Father feels about Jesus. Do you know what the other 55 uses are about? You. You. All of humanity. God is agape love. And we are God's beloved. We are deeply loved by God. And learning to receive God's love and live as God's beloved is foundational to being a Christian. It's the journey of our life is to learn just to live in that love. And if we struggle to do that, we're going to struggle with everything else when it comes to the kingdom of God. But when we begin to believe that that's true, then devotional disciplines, which are the most contested space in a Christian's life, don't become something I should do. They become something I get to do because I get to position myself in a place to receive the agape love of God and just to receive it. Like, we are in the season of seeking first, of leaning in, of contending, of pressing in. But, you know, but, but mainly we press in to be passive before a God and just to receive his love. Like, we, we're going to go to prayer meeting tonight and I'm going to shake and bake and I'm going to shoot under, cut under and I'm going to say, Lord, pour out your spirit on this church in the bay and all the rest of it. But most of the time, it's just spent there being overwhelmed with the love of God. It's just like the devos, I would do devos, it's just to position ourselves to receive the love of God. We, we love because he first loved us. It's just in response to his love. Like that's, like devos aren't some chore, they're the richest place you can position yourself, they're where your soul finds what it's longing for. It's in him. It's in him. And so I come into that place and I yield to him. And I return in love to seek him. Like, you want me, God. That's amazing. And I want you. I want you. I want you. I want you. I want to seek you. You are the treasure hidden in the field. Every cost is worth it to find you. In Paul's language, everything else is crap compared to knowing you. You are the pearl of great price. You, Jesus. Like, you are the one that I desire. You are the one I long for. And so uh, the... Like God's this gentleman because he wants real love. So he has this burning love for us, but he doesn't force it on you because then it's like, he's like, do you love me? There's a vulnerability to the love of God that means you can reject him. You can wake up tomorrow morning and go through your day and barely think about him. Like that's just, the, his posture is so humble and vulnerable. And so this is where like we seek first I want to position myself in a place where I'm just swimming in his love. Where it's, where, and so the danger is that, and I mean, I turned 40 last year, 41 this year, and it's like, there's that kind of thing of like, oh yeah, at some point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna really, to really gonna go for it. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, like, you know, we've got 21 days of fasting and you know, there'll be some hard outs in our church, but oh, this is life a bit too I just, I'm definitely, definitely down the track though. Oh yeah, definitely down the track. I'm going to, oh yeah. Like, that's the devil's greatest ploy to keep you from ever actually seeking him. Because that doesn't just become a season, that becomes a lifestyle. And before you know it, you're 40 or 50 or 60. And, like, and you've just become used to being distant from God outside of the running through a shower. 
which is a Sunday service, you know, once every three weeks or whatever, you know. But like, man, there's so much more. There's so much more. And so I'm like, man, let's like, let's let's make sure that we don't like let's get on the train. It stops at every station. Let's just get on the train and be like, man, I just want to just drink deeply. I want to drink deeply from everything that God's got. And I don't want to do that randomly. I want to do I want my life to be orientated around just receiving and flowing and living in his love. And so then when you start kind of get like it has to start there because otherwise it's social work. It's not kingdom work. A lot of social work goes on, doesn't change hearts. Kingdom work changes the heart first. And so it's, it, when, we first, when you start seeking through this stuff, um, you begin to experience um, his goodness and your soul starts flourishing. It's interesting, in Romans chapter 14, Paul talks about what the kingdom of God's like. Um, and he says this in verse 15, if your brother or sister is distre- distressed by, uh, because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Now the context of this passage is that there's so much freedom in Jesus, you're just free. And it's like back in the days, all this religious rules, don't eat that, don't do that. And Jesus is like, no, nah, you're free. Grace, mercy, for you. just enjoy my good creation. And so people are like, we can eat, we can have a bit of pig, we can have a bit of bacon. You can have some bacon now. You haven't had that for the last 2,000. You can have some bacon. People are just geeking out. It's Freedom Conference, baby, yeah. So they're like, mate, you know, bacon and ham and, you know, just all the other, you know, slices that there are, just pork chops, even. It's just like, we're just going bananas. And then, so, and then, like, people are getting offended and freaking out. And so then Paul's like, man, just, okay, guys, chill out a little bit. I know you're enjoying the pork, but it's like, just make sure that you're living in love. So if someone's really struggling with it, they are not at a mature place yet to understand the freedom that you've got. So dial it down when they're around out of love for them, right? Interesting. So, uh, do not, um, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ has died, right? So again, it's just all a posture of serving the other person. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the, listen, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The kingdom of God is no matter of eating and drink, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This, is the, this geeks me out. The kingdom of God, first and foremost, is not what you do, it's what you experience. So like, as you hang out with God, your soul becomes more alive. Trust me, I'm living it. Many of you know, most of us are on that journey, right? Where your soul is getting more alive as you align your life more and more to the way of Jesus. Jesus promised this in John 15. You abide, remain, connect with me. Your whole being will be filled with more love, joy, and peace. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. That is something you experience, not something you do. And like, honestly, guys, try in your devos this week, get the journal out, write down love, joy, and peace, and then just sit with God and just be like, fill my imagination with what my life is, what is meant to feel like in you. How, like, that's everyone's, every advert's trying to give you love, joy, and peace. And it's just like, it's a hoax, it's a mirage, it's not true. In Jesus, we can find it. The kingdom of God is righteousness, so it's deeds and acts congruent with God's will. He, as you spend time with him, you're loved into holiness. All the other rubbish that we look to, to anesthetize our pain, to comfort, to distract, and all the rest of it, that just loses its appeal as you go to the source of love, joy, and peace. 
So you're loved into holiness. You're not condemned into holiness. So you run to the one who can make you clean. You boldly approach the throne of grace and you keep choosing Jesus. Well done, people for coming to church this morning. You chose Jesus. Tick, gold star on your chart and all that. But then you keep doing that love, joy, and peace. Fill your soul more and more and more. That is the kingdom breaking into your world. And I'm, I just, I, I love that. I could, I could just drop the mic now and we could have testimonies for hours in this church around how God has filled us with love, joy, and peace as we've choose to align our lives more and more to his lordship as our schedule starts reflecting our desire for more of him. And so as you do that, you find yourself filled with it. And then it's like you just want the world to know this feeling. Oh, you just long for it. You, you drive through Madai Nui or you drive through Flex Mill or you drive through Bayview or wherever you live. And you look around and you're just like, man, people are missing out on so much good stuff. Like they're just designed to be loved. They're designed to live. Every human being is designed to live in loving union with God. And when we do that, we come home. And so then like, you're just like, well, how can we see God's kingdom break in more and more and more? And the secular vision for human flourishing, mainly through politics, is to try and build the kingdom without the king. If social services or money could solve our problems, would be a different world. Billions have been spent on serving the poor, but it's the human heart that's the root of all corruption. Only Jesus can change the human heart. And so when we choose to let him change our hearts, then there's a little twinkle in our eye and there's an authority we have to begin to call people home so that their hearts get transformed. And as we live in loving union with God, we will experience his kingdom breaking into our lives and it begins to flow to the world around us. And so when Jesus turned up, his primary message on earth was that his kingdom has come in Jesus. He preached the kingdom. Jesus' primary message, kingdom of God has come. Now parables that he said, uh, it's come, and in our parable he said, and it will come. And so there's a tension of the now and not yet. We live in this in-between stage in terms of the kingdom has broken in. But listen, every time, anywhere the presence of God is, God's kingdom is breaking into the world. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus calls us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we worship you. We love you. It begins with worship. It begins with seeking him, expressing our love. And then the next thing, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our, our calling is to worship God and unleash the kingdom here in the world around us. In Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus says, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. We've been given authority to unlock something here. And that's not about going to heaven when you die, as Beth was saying. That's about heaven coming to earth, like the Lord's Prayer says. So you have been given, every one of you have keys to the kingdom. What does that mean? That's like you carry a grace on your life to bring heaven to earth. Now, the kingdom of God, I'm going to explain what that means, and you know, but it's multifaceted. Everyone gets to play. Like the role of the pastor, like we have elevated the stage to be the big thing in Christianity. No, it's the kingdom that's the big deal in Christianity. And the kingdom of God advances when you guys get up tomorrow morning and stick with the king so that you feel what he feels and then begin to live in the grace that he has over your life because there's a unique part to play that you have to bring God's kingdom on earth through your work and through your family and through the gifts that you've got and the skills that you've got, the education you've got, the culture you've got, the things you're good at, they're graced by God to see God's kingdom come. So you've been given keys to the kingdom. 
God doesn't want to take us out of our, our reality. He wants to be a part of what we do here and invade this place with his goodness and his life and his beauty. When Jesus rose again after preaching about the kingdom for, forever, um, it's so interesting. The next chapter, I love this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them. This is Acts chapter 1 verse 3. And gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. Oh, this is cool. I wonder what he did. Again, it's like, I just, you know, like walking across, I don't know, walking up a tree backwards. I don't know what he's doing. Like, yeah, whatever. I just got an overactive imagination. Didn't have much TV as a kid, so um, my mind goes places. But, and then he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and what did he speak about? Kingdom of God. Now, here's my theory. The disciples would have paid a lot more attention in the 40-day block course before he ascends than they had probably during the whole you know, previous bit before he died and rose again. He's standing as the risen God before them. Any doubts? So I know he's there. And now he's saying, he's, here's, again, one more block course, guys, on the kingdom of God. For 40 days, he taught them about the kingdom of God. Later in Acts, Paul goes and it says this, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God for two years and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So, so I've just, I want to unpack as I come to land. What does this kingdom look like that Jesus was on about? He talked mainly in parables, but in Jesus' imagination was a whole lot of history, particularly through the prophets about what the kingdom is about, that we are called to continue to move forward in and to seek after. In Daniel chapter 2, this interesting passage, Daniel's seen this vision, these four different kingdoms, blah, blah. And then in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, he says, In the time of these, those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms that were brutal kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Some of the most beautiful promises about God's kingdom being set up here on earth are found in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 61, this is the passage that Jesus reads as he begins his ministry. And he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. This is what the kingdom's about. He is to proclaim freedom for the captives. Man, we need that in our society with the amount of addiction going on. Like the, the kingdom breaking in that God has power to break addictions and to set people free in Jesus' name. And release from darkness for the prisoners to live in the freedom and true freedom, not a slave to desire anymore, but to live in actual freedom and to comfort those who mourn and to bring the crown of beauty and the oil of joy. You know, I love this, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You know, every single thing we do in our corporate gatherings is very intentional. We don't sing happy clappy songs at the start because the kids like it, even though they do. We do that because we are a culture and a kingdom of praise and celebration. In a world that's very heavy and dark, we choose to rejoice. We choose to praise Him. We choose to rejoice in Him. So again, very intentional about why we do those sorts of things. And on and on it goes. For verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. We are a people that bring restoration to long devastated places. 
That, like, that's a word for some suburbs in our region. Long de- they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. That is the kingdom of God breaking in and life being brought into, into actual communities. In Isaiah 65, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. This is the things of the kingdom. The former things will not be remembered, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I'm called to be a people of delight and joy. And verse 20, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. In the kingdom of God, there is health and safety for the vulnerable. This is why, like, you know, what Andy Wordsworth does with, through Presbyterian care and many people that are in, in the healthcare industries, it's like that's a kingdom vocation where we care for people and we do it in such a way that's fueled with the Spirit of God, filled with compassion and life. That's a kingdom calling. The one who dies at a hundred will be a mere child. <laughs> they will listen, they will build houses and dwell in them, they will plant vineyards and eat fruit. There's houses and food in God's kingdom for everyone. Nor will they no, no. Verse 23, they will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. What a promise. The wolf, uh, in verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Like there's an absence of violence in the kingdom of God. Uh, Zechariah 8's got some similar things here. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them will, with cane in hand because of their old age. What a great... The city streets will be filled with girl, boys and girls playing there. I mean, there's just all this language there that is... And then as Jesus comes, he starts saying, the kingdom of God has come. And then he calls the church to continue, empowered by the Spirit, to be people that seek first the king and his kingdom. And so that's like, we're called to bring that heavenly reality. We're called to bring that hope into earth. And that's why the Seek First series is important. Because it's like, we've got to come back in the midst of all the stuff going on saying, how am I going to spend my life so that when I am on my deathbed, I'm happy with how I spent it? And I'm telling you now, if you orientate your life, even at great personal cost, to seeking God, and to, and to seeking his kingdom and your part to play in that, it'll be the richest, most satisfying life you can ever live that will have an intergenerational blessing for your family. The alternative is you live very selfishly for yourself and relationships will be dysfunctional because that always affects relationships. And there's a loneliness and detachment. And it's just, there's no life in it. It's a hoax. But man, I don't know about you, but I'm, I want us to be people of the kingdom. And this is like, this is why... We, um, this is why we do um, Christians Against Poverty budgeting courses. And this is why we do Building Awesome Fano. And this is why the Father's Collective is so epic. And our food bank is so important. And we give meals out every week somewhere. And, uh, and this is why Raising Hope, our ministry for women that are facing an under t- un- unintended or crisis pregnancy, is a kingdom venture for us. Where it's like instead of a legend, oh, I'm so frustrated with the fact that in the West, in the church in the West, on big social issues, we've only had a legislative vision. So broken because we've lost sight of what it means to have a kingdom vision. 
We were never called to be people depending on government to help out the poor and the broken. We are called to be the people that march into the lives of those, not into the march of the parliament, march into the lives of those that are hurting and broken and love them to life. And, and I love that we say to women that have got an unexpected pregnancy, we're going to put aunties around you, we're going to pay for all your nappies for the first year and all the baby supplies that you wear, we're going to get support around you, we're going to love you so that in a pro-choice country you've got a whole lot of options around making a choice we think on as God. And love people through. I mean, that's imagine if, if, if the church in New Zealand started living out a kingdom passion, what could happen to our society? You don't have to wonder. We've seen around the world what happens when the church takes it seriously to live for the kingdom of God. It's such an adventure. It's such a ride. And his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. What an amazing, amazing. And so <clears throat> the kingdom of God is, is like a multifaceted diamond. And... Um, you, you just have your part to play in it. Like if you try to do the whole thing of the kingdom, you will burn yourself out in two seconds. So the, the wisdom of the scriptures is that we're the body of Christ made up of all sorts of different parts. And so the thing you've got to wrestle with is what's my part to play in this? And like it's important to, to wrestle with. You can't just go through life just not thinking about, if you're a follower of Jesus, what does it look like for me to, be a, to live out the things of the kingdom? Like we, and you know, it'll be something that makes you angry. We're like, that is wrong. That's, your, that's normally God's thing that he's placed on your heart because you're like, that's a kingdom thing. Or it'll be something that brings you grief. We're like, oh, you just ache, you feel it. Like whatever, there'll be something on your life. And many of you already found it and living it out. It's awesome. But if you haven't, can I encourage this important conversation to have? Man, what does it look like for me to play my part and not just living for me, but living as a blessing for others so that there's a kingdom that comes? And so then it becomes our, our role as the church just to live this out, to do everything we can to look, you know, to like, what can we do with the housing problems in New Zealand? Come on, church. Come on, let's just work it out. And then we give generously. We just pour our lives out for it. What does it look like to, to um, help people find jobs or to, yep, at times to campaign and conjole and, and getting the grill of the local government. I, was, I did this a couple of years ago around the um, pokies thing. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm going to say my bit. But what gives us integrity is the fact we're in there doing this stuff all the time. And, 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 but also I love this. N.T. Wright gives this framework, and I come to land with this, that part of the role of the church has also been um, to, to bring beauty. Um, it's to, it's, it's like, he says it like this. Part of the role of the church has been in the past and could be and should be again to foster and sustain lives of beauty and ascetic meaning at every level, from music making in the village pub to drama in the local school, artists and photographers' workshops and still life classes and symphony concerts to driftwood sculptures. The church, because it is the family that believes in hopeful new creation, should stand out in every town and village as the place where new creativity bursts forth for the whole community, pointing to the hope, which, like all beauty, always comes as a surprise. Artists, I love this. I'm like, you know, we're called to create songs and melodies and art and painting that bring hope into a world so grey and devoid of colour. And of course, evangelism, which is like, hey, God's like, God's new world has begun in Jesus. And that we get to be a part of it. Uh, that, that, that as people worship the God in whose image they're made, and as they follow the Lord who bore their sins and rose from the dead, and as they're indwelt by his spirit and therefore, thereby given new life, there's, there's just like, we just want that good news for everyone to know how good it is, right? And it's just the best thing, like, it's, it's a bit tricky these days, granted, in the world in which we live, because most people think God is someone, nothing like the God we see in Scripture. 
But it was a great conversation, and heaps of us are having those yarns. And so seek first the kingdom of God. What we're going to do over these 21 days is, is intentionally say we're going to, in prayer and fasting, go after the stuff that really matters. We're going to seek after the king, and we're going to seek after the kingdom of God. And my dream is that over this time that we'll just continue to be captivated with the cause for the kingdom that we give ourselves to to our dying day. That we just are captivated with the kingdom. Captivated. What is my part to play? What does it look like for me to pour my life out? And like everything he calls us to is motivated by love and leads us to life. And so you know what that will mean? If you get captivated with the things of the kingdom, it will mean sacrifice and suffering. Be encouraged. I just, I'm just deadly serious. It will cause you to sacrifice radically. It will probably increase the suffering and discomfort in your life, not minimize it. I've got to be upfront with you. Jesus was. It's a narrow road. He calls us to pick up his cross. But what's on the other side of that? Great joy. Deep, deep satisfaction in our souls. You sleep well at night when you are giving yourself to the things of the kingdom. It's a good feeling. And I just want us all to feel that. But also, you know, we're a little church in the bay. In some ways, we're, we're like a bunch of loaves and some fishes. But when people just give that to God, it's amazing what he can do. And we're committed here for the long term in this region. And so we're like, Lord, give us kingdom dreams for this region so that we can be a big blessing. And so... Um, the context for our, our 21 days is that we just want him. And like, honestly, we need a building, but it's a tool for the kingdom. It's not, the, it's not, the, it's not for a, a little church empire here in the Bay. We need a tool, and buildings are a tool for the kingdom of God. And we are already hemmed in and restricted on what we can do throughout the week significantly because we don't have a building. And we are seriously hemmed in in terms of a prayer culture of, of having a place, of 24-7 place of prayer. Oh, it's like we are hemmed in. And so, um, but we don't know how that's going to work out, but we do know that the Lord's called us to pray and fast and ask for it. So, but, but it's in the context of the great story of God. It's in the context of the kingdom of God breaking into this region. That's what we're about. Anything that's not born in prayer is born in pride. So we're going to birth this thing in prayer.